Welcome to Power Surge from the Center for Industrial Progress. I'm Alex Epstein, uh, coming to you from actually Las Vegas, Nevada, where I'm at a conference, uh, and joined by Stefan Hen, coming to you from Germany. Hey, Stefan. Hello again. All right. So you have three stories for us. What's the first one? Uh, the first one is a new campaign by Greenpeace uh, that tries to apply pressure to the famous uh, legal brand, which is sort of a toy for kids. Lego, right? Lego, yeah. <laughs> um, and they try to um, pressure Lego into um, abandoning a contract they had with Shell, or they still have with Shell, where the Shell logo appears on some of the toy boxes. Um, and the argument here is that um, Shell, as a corporation that seeks to drill in the Arctic, um, should not be allowed to, and according to Greenpeace, thereby endangers uh, this part of Earth, um, should not be allowed to uh, be on children's toys. Okay. Nobody pointed out in this article that Legos are made of oil. <laughs> That's an interesting point, but I mean, there's also this, like this campaign seeks to demonize uh, a company simply for, you know, creating resources from the Arctic that have not been tapped yet. And that's in itself is evil, even if this you know, Lego wouldn't have anything to do with oil. Right. Yeah. And thinking about this, it's so environmentalism in the sense of believing that man impacting the rest of nature is bad is so pervasive that it's just hard to think even what the Arctic is. So in this article, they talk about dangerous plans to raid the pristine Arctic for oil. Um, they have another, some other, oh, and then they call Arctic supporters. It's just a, you know, it's a super, super, super cold place where it's very hard for anything to live. That's why people used to fantasize about it becoming habitable. But, um, you know, what the heck is wrong with a couple of human beings going there to get something valuable, uh, to get some value out of that area, which otherwise is just a death trap uh, for anyone who goes. And so I think all the Arctic supporters should have to take, you know, a trip. And the further north, the better, because that's that's really what they want to preserve. Um, but this I, this glorification of nature, in the sense of it's, I I, th I think just nobody talking about the Arctic has any idea what it's actually like. Um, any other thoughts? Uh, no, it's just, you know, this permanent attack. And a couple of weeks ago, there was uh, there were some Greenpeace activists actually uh, stopping, I think, a uh, um, Norwegian drilling rig from exploring the Arctic. And, uh, you know, they just blocked the pathway of this exploration rig. And it was also very horrible. Yeah, they are really focusing on the Arctic now, I think. Yeah, and there's just so much so much um, contempt for humanity because the idea of, well, um, if we can't be in this region of the Earth, too. I mean, that 
we can't it's, it's all it's all viewed as contamination you know we're we're unnatural we're ruining the pristine earth you know versus we are we are the best species and we're doing our thing and we're doing it well and you better believe the earth is going to change because we're here it's going to change all over the place I mean, uh, you know the earth changed a lot and the, you know the whole balance of species changed a lot with dinosaurs you know why not us uh, okay next story yeah the next story is uh, from uh, Zurich Insurance and this group has recently closed its US climate change office and this was um, you know some lobby effort uh, by the insurance group um, to create awareness of climate change and the future dangers that of course have to be insured by some big insurance group and um, you know the climate alarmists are lamenting that this is uh, a major setback because they were such a loud voice for climate action mm -hmm. in the United States and this is seen as a retreat from at least parts of the insurance industry from this alarmism um, yeah, to further their business model, I would say. So what's, what's the most significant thing about this story? Um, yeah, we've seen in the past uh, other insurance companies like Munich Re, um, you know, creating these studies about future risk of climate change. Um, and the Greens have tried to use this issue by arguments like, you know, if you can trust one industry about uh, the real dangers of climate change that the insurance industry, because they have to make sure that they get uh, the numbers right. And, um, but that's of course different from the, from the business model of insurers because they would profit greatly if the um, actual damage was lower than the previously estimated damage by the public. So right. there's a clear conflict of interest between the communications of some insurance company about certain dangers and, um, yeah. Um, sorry, what was, uh, thought escaped me. Oh yeah, it's just interesting in the article how there's speculation that you know, they, on one side, they are making all these public proclamations and participating in the National Climate Assessment uh, Doomsday Report. Uh, that's not its official suffix, but that's my suffix for it. Um, so there's that, and they're getting lots of prominent success for that, but that businesses don't seem to actually be buying their products. Um. And this reminds me of Richard Lindzen's point that he doesn't see uh, a big decline in the prices of beachfront property. Yeah, that's a good point. So, all right, next story. Um, yeah, there has recently been a, another adjustment to uh, NOAA's uh, temperature record and um, apparently July 1936 is again the hottest uh, month ever on record according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric uh, Administration and um, previously they had uh, declared July 2012 to be the hottest month ever on record and um, the interesting thing here is that they 
not only did they change or adjust it, uh, adjust the most recent uh, month, which is, you know, a normal process in this kind of uh, temperature measurements, um, but they also adjusted the historic uh, record. Uh, they adjusted the actual number for the July 1936 temperature. And um, this is pretty common in many data sets where they, you know, change historic data long after the measurement. And that's, in my view, very hard to justify. Um, yeah, I think it's an important point just about how, where, what this data is, where it's coming from, and, and for us as consumers to know where it's coming from or to know that we don't know, because the, the way that temperature historic, that the temperature record is presented is if there's just one universal thermometer that tells us everything we need to know. And the reality of that is so different, uh, both because there's no universal temperature, local phenomenon, and um, you know, there's all sorts of instrumentation issues involved and then calculation issues involved. And so not to do, just even take the temperature record as, as given, and Steve Goddard, or I forget his real name, Tony Heller or something, um, yep. It's been a big focus of his showing how NASA has changed the temperature records in different ways in general, making it seem, you know, cooler in, in, um, you know, in older years and warmer in more recent years to make the warming trend seem more dramatic. And particularly with the 1930s, where it was, there's all these records of it being really hot and they're trying to downplay that. So, um, these kinds of things should be discussed openly if there were, and, and they would be if there was a real discussion of the evidence and the issues and, and actually trying to explain it to people versus trying to scare people where all you do is just you know put together a graph and create a lot of scary implications and demonize your opponents and that's that's the mo this kind of story shows that there actually needs to be real discussion and explanation and and defense of these kinds of actions by the people taking them. Any other thoughts? Um, yeah, we've had this discussion before and I think a power or two. Uh, I mean, most people don't even have, have a concept in mind how difficult it is to actually measure some global average temperature. Uh, I mean, there's a, a giant network of thermometers and there are satellites in the orbit and so on that measure various parts of the atmosphere and the earth surface um, and even the ocean surface temperatures and then you have to combine these um, by a complicated uh, model to create this average number and uh, there are all kinds of you know complications involved uh, just from you know the precision of the measurement instruments uh, to you know, certain biases like the uh, um, urban heat island effect, for example, and um, the sighting of the stations is important, of course. And this is a very complicated thing. And um, it's interesting how many people are interested in science and how, how successful some science shows on TV are, but uh, nobody actually talks about some interesting detail like this. Yeah, that reminds me of an article you linked to uh, I guess we could link. You can, we can link to on the site from the I blanking love science on the the Facebook page. I blanking love science. Yeah, and 
I thought it was pretty clever in terms of what it what it's considered to mean to love science and how it's usually some sort of cool yeah. looking picture of <laughs> something in the physical world, but that when they when they post things that are actually opportunities to learn about science, the number of likes describes by some number of orders of magnitude, and probably most of the consumers of that uh, site or page don't even know what orders of magnitude are. Yeah, I think the author of this article I linked, uh, yeah, like, you know, looked at how many people liked uh, certain pages on this I linking love science, and um, you know, some stupid, goofy imagery was liked like by hundreds of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people, and um, actual discoveries like you know the dry scientific matter wasn't liked as much. So yeah. You know, science is about, you know, dry mathematical methods and so on. And, um, yeah, you can create cool things from it, but it's it's not like an entertainment show. Yeah, although even even the methods can be fascinating. And, and even any, any exploration of a challenge and an attempt to triumph over it is interesting. Yeah. But it's not – for the people who are trying to create an account of – you know, a definitive disaster that requires us to obey their definitive orders. It's not that's it's not consistent with that to um, actually represent the challenges involved in the category of claim that they're making, because then they wouldn't be allowed to make that category of claim. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Um, so we'll wrap up in a second. Let me. Uh, I think I've done this in some of the last couple of shows, but um, as always, if you have questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, you can reach me at alex at industrialprogress.net or stefan at stefan at industrialprogress.net. That's S-T-E-F-F-E-N. Um, let's see what else. Well, make sure to get your copy of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Uh, search for us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for the newsletter at industrialprogress.com. Stefan, as always, it's been fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, talk to everyone tomorrow.